0: all right let let 's get to work unpacking some things here Jesus just set the context so we know what we 're talking about. Jesus has been for a few chapters now since chapter thirteen he 's been huddled with the disciples this it 's hard for us maybe to to recognize that all that we 've been preaching for the last couple months took place in one evening okay so this is the the night that Jesus was betrayed, and Judas Went out, they had the last meal together, and, and Judas went out, and then Jesus huddled with them and gave them what we would call his farewell speech. It's like a farewell huddle with the disciples. And after he got done teaching them all about bearing fruit and the and the, the secrets to bearing fruit and the obstacles to bearing fruit and the resources for bearing fruit, when he got done with that speech, he then prayed. And we we have his prayer right here. The climax of his farewell speech was his prayer. And I've already told you the three ways in which he prayed. His prayer, though, extends, as I've said, to all Christians throughout history. He said in verse 20, I do not ask for these only. I don't ask for these only, but also... For those who will believe in me through their word. So that's you if you've believed in him through his word. He was praying for you. I was thinking about how ancestry.com, that kind of stuff is, I haven't gotten into that, but a lot of people are really into that stuff. My, my dad's gotten really into it recently, and, and, and it's kind of shocking to me because my dad's not into these kinds of things, like into study and research. Um, so dad, if you're watching today, that's not a, it's not a criticism. <laughs> uh, but my dad's gotten into this Ancestry.com, and he's really interested in finding out like who... Uh, like who who are the famous people are who who are the lynches you know and, and and what's our background like who can we trace ourselves back to and basically what I've learned from my dad if I, as I've been listening to him is we can trace ourselves back to mobsters in Florida <laughs> that, that's what that's that's what I'm learning here. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's just proof, again, that the lynches need a savior, right? (laughs) But I was thinking about this, like, I would love to be able to trace each of us that would say we're Christians back, which disciple do you trace back to? Because Jesus says, but also for those who will believe in me through, whose word? Their word. That the disciples, he gave them, he gave the 11 the word, and then they began to, the gospel spread, and it spread all the way to you. And that's a lot of moves. You know, I can, I can remember, like, Like Betty Ann shared the gospel with me and my family. But I don't know who shared the gospel with Betty Ann. Somebody did, though, and I have to be thankful for that person. And if you keep going, you'll get all the way back to one of the disciples. I wonder who I go back to. Peter? (laughs) Probably Peter. (laughs) Maybe you can explain to me why he said probably Peter. But I'm okay with it. I'm okay with getting back to Peter. Doubting Thomas? I don't know. Who do you trace back to? Isn't that an interesting thought? I got to, can you guys pause for just one second? Just keep thinking about who you trace back to. Because this thing keeps shutting off on me. And that's going to make it kind of clunky for me to keep preaching here. Auto lock. Never. Never forgot to set that back again. So isn't that cool to think about, though? Like, who do you trace back to? There's a literary technique. If you're a literature person, which I love literature, if you're a literature person, there's a literary technique that John is using right here. He's an incredible writer, uneducated fisherman, but this dude can write. And he's using a technique called a dramatic monologue, Dramatic monologue. And so what he is doing, is, and, and, and this dramatic monologue is what writers will do then. It's when they, they employ this technique so that we are overhearing a speaker addressing a listener. So we're listening in on this. We get to listen in. The speaker. Who's the speaker? Jesus. Who's listening? Father. And we're overhearing it. We're we're getting to participate through overhearing. And we can learn so much as we listen to Jesus, as we overhear Jesus' prayer for us. This prayer answers questions like What does Jesus desire for you as a Christian? What does Jesus desire for his followers? Here's another question and answers. How should we, how should followers of Jesus live in light of his prayer for them? So, organizing structure. What does Jesus pray for us? Main point, I'll back up. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? You stop and think about it. Jesus is praying for you. What does Jesus pray? Jesus prays three things for us. Number one, Jesus prays that we would be united. Jesus prays that we would be united. Now, I want you to know, when I, when I seek, when the pastors seek to preach God's word, these points aren't just points, like, I'm just not going to, I just didn't make these up. I just didn't think, oh, that'll sound good. I wasn't, I'm not up here using a, I may be using a literary technique, but it's not like just my, how clever I can be on Easter morning. I'm trying to get my points from right here in the passage of Scripture, all right? So let me show you that Jesus prays that we would be united. You probably caught it when I was reading. In my Bible, I actually just underlined places where I see this being united, being shown. If you look, it's all over. It's language like this, verse 21, that they may all be one. So, so that's, that's unification language, that we would be one. And then he starts using language like you in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Do you see this? He continues to use this oneness language, this in me, in you language. That all speaks to being united. And this this prayer that we would be united... I just want us to see a couple things. One is that the, that the unity that the, the body of believers has is not made by us. It's not created by us. The oneness is supernatural. It's not man-made. It's not a, we can't manufacture this stuff. Believe me, we can't. Because what we're going to see is that God actually did it. And we're still having a hard time just maintaining it. Right? You'd see so much disunity in the world today, even among believers. Sad. But this unity that we experience, that we've been invited into, is the unity of the Trinity. It's the unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Just, just imagine for a moment that unity. That is a unity in which there is no breaking. There's no breaking of fellowship. There's no arguing. They don't ever, every once in a while get irritated with one another. They don't, they're not sinning against one another the way we do. Their unity is never, ever, ever fractured or even potentially becoming fractured. They are one, Jesus says. The Father and I are one. The Spirit is one with us. There's nothing like this unity. And the unity that we have as believers is the unity that We share in the unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have actually been, if you're a Christian, invited into that unity. You've been invited to participate in the Godhead. This is amazing. Nod your head if you're with me. This is amazing truth that God would invite us into fellowship. It's not just, if you're a Christian, if you just got baptized, Maggie you, you, you put your faith in Christ, you didn't just get forgiven of your sins. You did get that, but that's not all you got. You didn't get just, just, just get eternal life to float on a cloud without, without being worried about con- the, the, the condemnation that would come for your sins. What you got is invited into the life of God. Eternal life is more about it when someone says or, or when Jesus says that that if we believe in Him we have eternal life. That's more about having a relationship with God than it is about the duration for which it lasts. It's about you have life now in Jesus' name. You get to enjoy that now. How long do you get to enjoy it? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But it's but what's mainly being taught here is that you have a relationship. You have life life in God. You didn't make it. The gospel isn't just a get out of jail free card. You know, you love holding them in the Monopoly game, right? I haven't played Monopoly for a while, but we used to, me and the kids used to have some knockdown dragouts on Monopoly. You get competitive people in a room and Monopoly can be like, 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 like cutthroat, You hold on to those get out of jail free cards. And we can tend to think that that's what the gospel is. That it's just like, man, when Satan finally comes to get me, I'm just going to play my get out of jail free card. It's not that. Guys, it's so much more than that. If you're in Christ, God made you his son, (laughs) he made you his daughter. God becomes your father and your eternal home is now in heaven. I'm gonna say that again because nobody seems to be feeling that. God is your father, you are his son or his daughter, and your eternal home is with him in heaven. You're just a sojourner here. You're just a pilgrim here. This is not where you live. Your home is in heaven, God is your father, and you're his daughter, and you're his son. Man, we need to say that over and over again. J.I. Packer said that's the most important benefit of the gospel is that you've been adopted into God's family. He didn't just give you a get-out-of-jail free card. He said, I want you in my family. We need to say that over and over again. I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. I'm a child of God, God is my Father, heaven is my home. Get up tomorrow morning and say, I'm a child of God, God is my Father, and heaven is my home. Right before you go to bed tomorrow night, tonight, say, I'm a child of God, God is my Father, heaven is my home, and that changes everything. When you're cooking dinner, you should say it. When you're waiting in line at the store, you should say it. And ask God, though, to enable you to live as one who knows that that, those truths are completely and utterly true about you. And it's true not because of you. It's true because of him. It's supernatural, this unity. It's not man-made. You couldn't come up with this stuff. Our responsibility is not to create the unity of the Spirit. We can't do that. Our responsibility, as Paul said in Ephesians, is to maintain the unity of the Spirit, to preserve it, to keep it. You keeping it? You expressing it? You maintaining it? That's what we're called on to do. Now there's something else that we got to see here. How are we doing? we got to see something else. we got to see that this unity that he prays for must be seen. It's supposed to be seen. It's supernatural, not man-made. It's supposed to be seen. That's all over this passage. Jesus prays that we would be unified, that we would be unified, and there's a reason why he prays this. Listen to what he says. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us so that, here's your reason, for what reason? So that what? That the world may believe. There's intention behind this unity. It's not just for us. It's, It's that the world would look at us and would believe. Jesus prays for our unity Because it's supposed to be seen, supposed to be visible. When the world sees it, he says, they'll believe in Jesus. This unity that he's praying for in us is supposed to make an impact on the lost world, the broken world. So there's a challenge here to this prayer, right? We could get into all kinds of theological twists here. But the challenge of what Jesus prays here is inescapable. It's inescapable. He's praying that we would be united. And when I look around at the Christian landscape, I see, and I know you join me in observing, that there's a lot of disunity. This prayer should challenge us. Have you ever participated in a small group or a missional community, maybe a fight club, and someone begins to pray for you? Have you ever had this experience? I've had this experience. Someone begins to pray for me. And I'm not talking about they just pray for you because we pray for one another. But have you ever been in a situation where someone starts to pray something that starts to feel like they're reading your mind? You ever had that happen? It's like you're you're sitting in there praying, you're sitting there praying, and you just think it's like a normal little prayer and you're gonna get off and go to work, you're gonna end fight club. They're praying, no. They start praying about something like how do they know that? They start praying for you in your battle with temptation. And they start saying things that sound like they're inside me. It's like, it's like when you, you're, the, you're just politely closing your eyes, amen, 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 and then it's like you open your eyes and look out the top of your glasses. Like, who's telling you that? Have You ever had that happen? Have you ever had someone pray for you because of something you're internally struggling with and, and all of a sudden it gets your attention? like, I can't think this way. I can't act this way. I can't leave this meeting and go be not the answer to the prayers they just prayed for me. It has a, it has a challenging effect upon you. How much more if you could overhear Jesus praying for you? How would that shape your behavior today? Some of you may be seated here in this auditorium right now and you got a reservation with sin. You, you're, 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 you've been meditating, you've been contemplating, and you got a plan that you're going to execute sometime later this week. And what I want you to know is that Jesus is praying that you wouldn't do that. And that should sober you. That should cause you to cry out to him for grace. Wouldn't it be a challenge to hear Jesus' prayer for us? We're hearing it. He's praying for unity. It would be an answer... Let me back up and say, it's impossible to believe that the present fragmentation we see among gospel-believing evangelical churches, I just read a stat, that there are 22,000 denominations in the global Christian church. I'm not talking about world religions, guys. I'm talking about people that profess Christ There are 22,000 denominations. And I say to you, I think it's impossible to believe that that's tolerable in light of Christ's prayer. (laughs) If we would be an answer to this prayer, then Christians should never assume the worst about one another. We shouldn't do that. Let me just make one final word of application. Jesus references love over and over and over again in this passage, and that is connected to our unity. He says in verse 23 that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Verse 24, he says you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 26, he says the love with which you have loved me, that that love would be in them and I in them. There's a lot of reference to love. Churches. Brandywine Grace should be a love center. That's what we should be, a love center where the relationships that exist between and among partners of Brandywine Grace are a reflection of the mutually supportive, utterly loyal, eternally loving unity that exists between the Father and the Son. Are we doing that, Brandywine Grace? Are we working to ensure that that's the case In all of our relationships with Brandywine Grace, may this be so. Men with women, young with the old leaders, with the congregation... New partners with founding partners, the rich with the poor, the cultured with the unsophisticated, the socially upper with the socially lower, new converts with mature Christians, the racial majority with the racial minority, all that we would be unified in a way that spreads the fame of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus prays this should bring our hearts great encouragement because what Jesus prays is going to happen. Jesus' prayers prevail. So we may not be expressing the kind of unity that he's praying for, but one day we will. One day we will. Oh, I've said enough there. Jesus prays for us. What does he pray? He prays that we would be united. The second thing he prays is that we would be persuasive. I've got two more points, and they'll move much quicker. Jesus prays that we would be persuasive. What do I mean by that? We've already seen that Jesus prays for unity, but it's a unity that has purpose. It's a unity that is supposed to have impact on the world. The world's supposed to see it and then be persuaded that Jesus is real. They believe in him, and then they would have life in his name, and they would be brought into the family of God. That's what Jesus is praying for. He's praying that you and I would be persuasive in how we share the message of Jesus. How persuasive do you feel? You start talking about evangelism. Shelby Abbott did a really good uh, seminar recently. We're, gonna, we're talking about how we can get more people through this seminar, maybe even doing it in here. But he did a really good seminar that teaches you how to be persuasive in sharing your story and connecting it to the gospel. But oftentimes when I talk about sharing the gospel with with people who don't know Jesus, we start getting scared, we start getting nervous, we start getting anxious, we get overwhelmed, we don't want to do it, we're fearful, we're scared. <laughs> but but Jesus is praying that you and I would be persuasive. Jesus desires that the world would be persuaded that he is king. Jesus longs that the world would come to him. Do you know how I know that he he longs for that? Because the scripture says it and because you're sitting here. He wanted you to be saved. There was a time when you weren't a believer and Jesus was yearning for you that you would follow him. Some of you right now probably are, maybe, maybe you're, on the, you're, you're close to stepping into the kingdom. Jesus wants you in the kingdom. Jesus would have you. The question for you is, would you have him? Jesus yearns that the world would be saved. He prays that, that they would be saved through our persuasive message and lives. His yearning for that Say this for those that are listening closely. His yearning that the world would be saved is not contradicted by his conviction that only those whom the Father has given him will respond. Some people might look at this passage and say, Why is Jesus praying to the Father? Like, is Jesus trying to persuade the Father to do something that he otherwise wouldn't do? Like, is Jesus the good guy, but the Father's the bad guy? And he needs to be, he needs to be uh, requested of things that he otherwise, you know, I really don't like those people down there. But Jesus, you seem to like them. So keep praying and maybe I'll, no. No, I and the Father and the Father and me, all one. Jesus modeling something for us here about what it means to have relationships. And so he's crying out to God in relationship for what they all want. The the entire Godhead wants to see us to be united, us to be persuasive, for us to be winsome. The heart of Jesus is broad, wide, high, long, deep, that the world would come to him. Jesus longs that lost people would come to him, that broken people would find hope in him. Some people look as if they, there's some people that just wear their sin on their sleeve, right? You know what I'm talking about. There's people who look more broken than others. You're all broken. I'm broken. We just, some of us clean up a little better. On Good Friday, I was sitting there and my my friend, Gabe and my friend Eddie, was here. And you just look at Eddie, and two things you see. The first observation you'll make is that this guy has been in it with the world. I mean, just tatted from face and head down. But the other thing I noticed as he came up to take communion is the joy on his face. There's something about observing him because when you observe him, you you actually can see that he has made some really poor, sinful choices. You You just get an idea, and I don't know the half of it, but you get an idea that he's been down some dark roads, and Jesus has plucked him out. That's true for all of us, whether it looks outside like that on the outside or not. And someone shared the gospel with Eddie, and he turned to Jesus. And I think it was Gabe and, and his brother Destin and others that shared the hope of Jesus with him. And he turned to Christ. Whew. Jesus prays that we will be left in the world. Some of you say, I don't want to be left in the world. I don't want to live in this world. I want to sequester. I want to, I want to hide away from the world. Jesus is saying, uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh you got to stay there, and you're going to stay there, and I'm going to pray for you that the Spirit of God would fill you and make you persuasive so that the people I'm saving, I'm going to use you to share the message of hope with them, and they're going to join and be with us together forever and ever and ever. Amen? So let me just say that Jesus wants us to be persuasive in two ways. He wants us to be persuasive with our words. If you're going to share the gospel, you got to use words. The gospel is a message. That's why he gave us this big book. It's words. You have to share the words. The good news is words. It's the words that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. We are all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but can be, are freely justified by his grace. In faith alone, by faith alone, In Christ alone. That's the gospel. we got to say it. The salvation is real and it's true and it's spoken with words. But it's not just words right here. It's that our words, that our ways would line up with our words. Right? How many people have decided I ain't going to be a Christian because the Christians say this, but then they do this? Now some people are looking for a cop-out because we're, you know, we're all sinners. But, but there's a sense in which our lives ought to, we're trying to live lives that look like we're being obedient to Jesus. So our ways line up with our words. The gospel is made visible for our ways, through our ways. Evangelism is a community act. People come into Brandywine Grace and take a look. And then they ask, do their their ways line up with their words? Your neighbors are watching. (laughs) People are looking. So that means if the Lord is bringing anything to mind where you think, oh my goodness, I ruined it for that person. Because my ways were far off from my words. That's easy to deal with. You go to Jesus, you ask for forgiveness, and then you go confess it to them. You go tell them you're sorry. Tell them you, that Jesus is doing a work in you that's helping you to be humble and that you acted in a way that is not Christ-like, and I need you to forgive me for that. So it's, it's that easy. Well, it's not easy. The Spirit of God will help you, though. One quote, then we'll move to the last point. Brennan Manning He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That's a good, that's a challenging quote for us. May our ways line up with our words. May our our behavior line up with what we believe. Amen, church? You're quiet. Let's do that. All right, last thing he prays for, that Jesus would be, or that we would be victorious. Jesus prays that we would be victorious. He prays that we would be united. He prays that we would be persuasive. He prays that we would be victorious. Verse 24, let me get the band to return. That the Father may be with me, that they may, he prays, verse 24, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm rushing. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Jesus prays that not only would we be persuasive, but that we would be persuasive. Persuasive in what? That that the whole bride of Christ would be with him. That those who are coming to Christ would be with him and that they would see. So so he's praying that they would be with me where I am and that they would see my glory with me, with me. Jesus is praying that you would be with him. With me is the language of love. When I asked Amy to marry me, I was saying that I want you to be with me where I am. So Christ is praying for you. Because he can't wait to be with you forever. And I, I, I want you to remember that what he's praying here, he's praying in the final moments of his life on earth. The sand... The sand in the hourglass is near, it's near, the sand grains have almost passed through. His life is going to be snuffed out within hours. You know, when my life comes to its end, I hope that I have other people on my mind, but I'm betting that apart from the work of the Spirit, I'm going to be thinking about me. Jesus, though, when he's just hours away from being brutally treated and nailed to a cross, he can't stop thinking about you. He's looking out across the future in anticipation of embracing his bride in his eternal glory. He's looking out as he gets ready to embrace his darkest hour. He's he's. He's thinking about the joy set before him. It also says it's not just being with me, but it's to see. The whole purpose of salvation is that you would see. I can't see very much right now. When I put these on, I can see. The whole purpose of salvation is not just that you would get forgiveness. It's that Jesus says that you would see. See what? See his glory. He wants you to see something. To see is to observe with sustained attention. To see is to enter into something, to experience something. This is what he saved you for, to experience him, to enter into an experience of him, to see him for who he is forever and ever and ever. The scripture tells us that one day, church, we're going to see him face to face. Christ has others that He's called to be with Him. And He wants them to see His glory. And He's using us to go get them. With the Easter joy we feel today, friends, we got to keep showing up. We feel this Easter joy today. We need to feel it again tomorrow. We keep showing up. We just keep faithfully living for Jesus. I turned to one of the moms today whose daughter was baptized And I just said, I've known them for a long time. And I said, I thank God for your long obedience in the same direction. Because that long obedience in the same direction has made an impact on another person's life. I'm praying that we as a church would go in in one direction for a long period of time. That others might witness and come to know Jesus. And Jesus... His prayers are going to be answered. If Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, anything you wish in my name, and I'll answer, he said that in this section. If he said that, how much more are the prayers of Christ going to be answered? Church, we are going to be united. We are going to be persuasive, and we are going to be victorious because the 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 son of God who prayed that prayer for us and then died on the cross rose again and just as sure as he rose again he's gonna his prayers are gonna be answered and he's gonna do these things in us. Amen. Let's stand and worship him with one more song.